All right, we're going to start with the set-aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, help us to carry your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, we are working our way through We Agnostics, and I'm going to do some podcasts at home on acceptance and look at the acceptance is the answer chapter. Uh, and so that'll be out on the site too. Um, and we are on the bottom of page 46. Uh, we finished this paragraph, but I'm going to read it again because it's so powerful. And we're in the chapter now where they've hammered home to the person reading the book that you're powerless over alcohol. You're powerless if you drink it, and you're powerless before you drink it. I think that's a good way of saying it. If you're sober, you're powerless over alcohol. If you drink it, you're powerless over alcohol. And so um, they're hammering home that idea in the first 43 pages of Doctor's Opinion. And unless you realize you're powerless over alcohol, uh, you're not going to do the rest of it. And they, they're going to tell us we're powerless over managing our own life. And they indirectly uh, tell us that, but they're going to tell us even more in this chapter about uh, how unmanageability looks. And then they're going to tell us why it's unmanageable in the next chapter and how it works when they talk about step three and we have to stop playing God. So our problem is we play God. Uh, and when we do that, we can't keep from drinking. And we don't have any power not to drink. And so uh, the first step is a key. And now we're going to discuss uh, and look at where they do the second step in the big book uh, on page 47. And they've told us when we have lack of power, that's our problem, our dilemma, right? So we had to have a power to live. And so we're going to talk about God. So on page 45 starts the God book. And the rest of this book is really how we have a, develop a relationship with God and how that relationship changes us. We don't really change ourselves. God changes us, but we have to take the actions so that we face and be rid of the things that are blocking me so God can change me. So it's a, it's a dual process, but the power comes from God. And so at the bottom of 46, um, well, we'll go to the middle. I always go back further than I say. It says, we found that as soon as they were able to, the middle of page 46, lay aside prejudice. So if I lay aside my judgment, my prejudgment, and I have to do that today about everything. I have to be willing to lay aside my prejudgment of something and say, well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. It could be as simple as a Netflix show. It could be about if my wife wants me to do something and I'm really not excited about it. And I have to say, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should go. Change your mind, right? 
express even a willingness to believe in a power greater ourselves, just even a willingness to believe that there's a power greater. Now that sounds like a pretty simple statement, but if you're an alcoholic, that's the beginning of change. To believe that there's a power greater than me and that power can solve my problem. And it says, it says that on page 45, what is my problem? My problem is really not alcohol, it's my separation from God in my mind where I live in a world where I played God. Anybody else do that? Anybody not do it? Anybody not do it this morning? You see, we, we fight that every day. We, we put ourselves in a world where we're running the show. And when we do that, our emotions build up and we have no power not to drink. And so uh, the, uh, Chuck C. in his famous new pair of glasses said, we have one problem, conscious separation in my mind and one solution, conscious contact with God. And so the book now is gonna start the process on page 46 of how do we get conscious contact with God? For the, someone just joined us, we're on page 46 of the big book, dear. Um, and it says, we commence to get results. We start to get results as soon as we change the direction of our lives. Now, uh, when I hit bottom and I asked God for help and I could see the truth of my situation, that was a big change. I felt better. I, I was still full of fear. My life was a complete mess. But I felt something, I can't explain it, that I was done. And once you're completely done, that's a sense of relief. And then that allows people to help you. And even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. And we have to remember that. Everybody has their own conception of God. But can we really comprehend something that created all of this? Really? Much to our relief, to their relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. For those listening on the podcast, I have a new microphone. I hope it it's, works okay. Um, our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and affect the contact with him. Now remember, it says later in the book that you can have any conception that you want, but it has to make sense to you. It has to be a power that you can rely on. I heard someone say at three in the morning, can you rely on this at three in the morning? Can you go to this power at three in the morning? And, and then we, we're gonna learn further on, we have to be able to trust this power. So it has to be a power that can work for us. As soon as we admit, so as soon as you admit the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction. So just admitting the possible existence that I'm not the, the power running the world is the beginning of the destruction of self-centeredness. It's really not about uh, understanding God, it's understanding that I'm not God and being willing to say, okay, there must be something else besides me. And we had somebody celebrate a year and they said that they fired themselves. And I have to fire myself all the time. But that won't work, this admission, provided we took other simple steps. 
So just taking steps one, two, and three won't change you, but it makes you willing to change, and it makes you want to face and be rid of the things that are blocking you from having God direct your life. Now, why would anybody want that? Because when I'm directing my life, things don't go well. I don't feel good. I'm full of fear. I'm irritable, restless, and discontent. I react poorly in situations. Has anybody still done that in sobriety, occasionally? And now I find myself occasionally, before I react, pausing and not reacting. I don't send the text messages anymore. I, I may write them, but then I delete them. And I'm in a very difficult situation at this study I go to, and I'll tell you, the steps really work. Just pause, they are who they are. And it says, uh, I'm on a roll today, provided we took other simple steps. And then here's a key line. We found, they found that God does not make too hard terms. There's not uh, all these conditions with those who seek them. So, in fact, we're going to read later in the step three that we make a contract with God that he's going to give me everything I need. And then the only terms he asks is that I stay close to him and do his work, that I work for him, and he'll give me the power I need to do that. Wow. And then guess what I get as a bonus? He gets worry. I don't have to worry anymore. God's in charge. He's running my life. Isn't that something? So whenever you worry, you're playing God. How does worry work for you? My whole life was fear. Anybody else have that? Well, I was a little kid, five, six. I was afraid of what people would think in school. And, oh, and all my whole life was full of fear. And I don't have to have that anymore. And when I get it, I just say, it's not true. God, take it away. How should I be? Trust in him, be in the now, be uh, his character. It's not complicated. So he doesn't seek too hard terms. So to them, the realm of the spirit, this world we want to enter, which is the realm of the spirit. They talk about we've entered the world of the spirit on page 84, right? When you've done steps one through nine, you're now in this new world. And then they end on page 164 with our famous line, right, Brian? We've entered the fellowship of the spirit. That's what AA should be about, a fellowship of people living in the world where God's the center. And how do we stay in there and how do we live successfully in there? It's roomy, all-inclusive, never excluding or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. So if you're seeking God, it says God can and will if he were sought. So I'd like to hear somebody come to me in AA and tell me I've done the steps, I'm working the steps, I'm doing all the instructions and in, in how it works in action and God's not working in my life. It can't, it can't happen. If you're really doing it, God can and will. And I, I'm an example of that and James said it and other people in the room can talk about it. It is open, we believe, to all men. But you have to take, but it requires action. And admit begins the process. And it says we have to earnestly seek. That's another word we skip. Forbidding to those who earnestly seek. Does that mean like willing to go to any length? And are you earnestly seeking God every day? Ask yourself. 
with all your effort, with all your might. When therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. Top of page uh, 47. This applies too to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. Now we've seen a lot of people come through that don't want to hear about God. I understand, that's okay. But unless you're willing to admit and open your mind, nothing's going to change. So that's a prejudice that will kill you if you're an alcoholic. If you don't want to hear about God, that's a prejudgment. Now, why does someone say that? Who told them that that was a good idea? They say, I don't want to hear about God. Well, you should say to them, well, who told you to say that? You. And who's the problem? You are. And who's the problem? Your mind and your thinking. So maybe you want to think of something different. Now, why do people want to seek God? Because of the pain of the life we were in. The complete desperation of a drowning man. Anybody else have that? I mean, it was, I still can't forget how bad it was. And it didn't get better the first day I stopped drinking. It, the first few months were pretty, pretty uh, messy, and I could still make a mess of it. This applies to other expressions. It says, do not let any prejudgment, prejudice, there it is again, you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. So someone who doesn't want to hear about God, ask him what that means to him. Why do they not want to hear it? What does it mean to you? And so you don't want any prejudice and you want to just honestly ask yourself, what does it mean to you? At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth. They're not asking a lot. Open your mind, be willing, be willing to admit the possible existence of God. And if you do, you're beginning spiritual growth because you're starting down a path away from you. And it says, to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. So this is the beginning of the spiritual awakening. This is the beginning of the spiritual experience. If you let go of your prejudice, and you honestly ask what these terms mean, then that's all you need to start your first conscious relationship with God. Now, prior to this, you haven't had any conscious relationship with God. Especially if you're an agnostic, you could pray all, all morning, but then you get up off your knees and you're back in self. And so nothing's changed. And usually, I think, I can't speak for anybody but myself, I think a lot of my praying was to get my will done. You know, help me, God. Help me get through the day. Not change me so that I can be loving, patient, kind, and tolerant, but help me deal with these impossible people. Uh, you see the difference? Uh, afterwards, after we started this, we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed utterly, entirely out of reach. Could you believe that you would live a life where you don't have to be angry? You don't have to be fearful? You don't have to harm people anymore? You can have a new way of looking at things and a new way of thinking? It says that was growth, but if we wish to grow, we had to begin somewhere. You have to start somewhere. So this is the beginning of the spiritual growth. Step one tells you you need to have a spiritual growth. You need God. 
you need something greater than yourself. So we used our conception however limited it was. And now here's the second step in the big book. It's very complicated. Let's see how long it would take someone to work on this step. It says you just need to ask yourself a short question. Self, here's a question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? That's it. That's step two. Ask yourself a question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there's a power greater than self? Now what makes you willing to believe? Your first step. And the other thing that makes you willing to believe, and this is where the fellowship is so important, is you see people who have changed. They tell you how bad it was when they came in, how they were so powerless, and they're sober five years, and they seem happy, and they seem to be getting along with people. So we can believe because we see it. So we should be a fellowship of the Spirit where people could see the Spirit working in our lives. And that would make the new person willing to believe that there's something going on here that's greater than themselves. So do I now believe or am I willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? As soon as I say that I do believe or am willing to believe, we emphatically, notice the word emphatically, assure him that he is on his way to what? To a relationship with God to a relationship with a power in his life that could solve his problem. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. So they're built, we're building a spiritual structure. We come in and we have no spiritual structure. We're living separated from God in a world in which we're running the show. We're going to build this arch through which we're going to pass the freedom from the bondage of self. Now, what makes up the arch? The foundation is step one, is pain, is willingness, complete defeat, complete surrender. And then the cornerstone of the arch, which is very important. I don't, I'm not a builder, but I think the cornerstone's important, is that you believe that there's a power that can greater than yourself that can solve your problem. Now the keystone of the arch we're going to read on page 62 is the decision not to play God and to let God be God and let him be your director and let him be your father and you work for him. And then the rest of the stones are put in place through steps four through nine. And in step 10 it says we've entered the world of the spirit. We've walked through this arch. Now, the problem is we don't walk through the arch and then we stay there. We have to keep doing steps 10, 11, and 12 to stay down that path. It says you and the man must walk down the path of spiritual progress, hand in hand. So you have to do it the rest of your life. Because if you stop doing it, guess what? You, you get back to the other side of the arch. And then the arch disappears, and you have no arch to walk through. That's a pretty dark time, isn't it? When I came in, I had no arch. I didn't know what, I knew that my life was a mess, but I didn't really understand that it was me. I thought it was them, but it was me, and I had to build this arch to walk through. Now, if you don't build an arch, you never walk through it. So people say, why do I have to work the steps? Well, because do you want to get through the arch 
and live in the world of the spirit or not. Now there is, there is a, another thing, when you start building the arch, you're walking with God. So the whole time that you make this decision in step two and you believe, and the decision step three, you're walking with God and you're building an arch together with him. It says, that was great news for us, for we had assumed we could not make use of spiritual principles unless we accepted many things of faith which seem difficult to believe. Now this is a key thing that's different than scripture. It may be the same, but in AA they make a difference between belief and faith. So you, don't, you just start with belief in AA. And your faith is shown to you when you trust in God. So then you have true faith in God. It says you live on a different basis, trusting and relying upon God. Now you don't start with that. You get that by doing the steps. And you see God can remove your anger. God can remove your fear. God can remove your character defects, right? God can help you be at peace with the world and others through amends. So you start with belief. They keep it simple here. And then your belief turns to faith and trust. So faith is true knowledge in AA. Belief is, is you believe, but you don't have knowledge of God because he hasn't worked for you yet. So it's kind of different than in scripture. So the faith here is the trust and the knowledge that God can do for me what I cannot do for yourselves. Have you ever heard that, read it any meaning? And so that's the true uh, faith, the trust. When people present us with spiritual approaches, how frequently do we all say, I wish I had what that man has. I'm sure it would work if I could only believe as he believes. But I cannot accept as surely true the many articles of faith which are so plain to him. So it's comforting to learn that we could commence at a simple level, just believe that there's a, and willing to believe that there's a power greater than yourself. And then follow through. Keep moving down the uh, path. Faith is assurance that the promises will come true, that God can work in your life. And I know that. And there's others can speak for that when we open up, that we have, I have true faith and trust in God. Now, the question for me is, why don't I trust him all the time? Well, there you go. Paul said that in Romans 7. Wretched man that I am. I can't stop doing what I don't want to do. So we all have that. Besides the seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped. Now, see if anybody can relate to this. Probably not in this room. Was anybody handicapped by obstinacy? <laughs> I think I was very obstinate and didn't even realize it. Sensitive. Any sensitive people in here? An unreasoning prejudice, unreasoning prejudgment. Many of us, listen to this, have been so touchy. We're touchy people that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. Go to a meeting now and see if anybody mentions Jesus Christ and if people don't cringe. And, and it's okay to mention Jesus Christ if that's your conception of God. Remember, it works for you. It doesn't mean that they're telling you you have to believe in that, but notice if there's some bristling or somebody will say, well, you know, 
we, we don't say that in AA. We don't do that here or something like that. I've, and, and that's just things that are not true. We don't want to bristle with antagonism. Uh, AA literature, AA-approved literature, people bristle with antagonism if somebody reads something that they don't think is AA-approved literature. But they don't understand. AA-approved literature just means you can sell it. AA can sell it. It doesn't mean you can't read anything. So we have, we have, uh, we, we can bristle with antagonism and we have to watch out. That's why we don't want too many rules in AA. Because then rules set up, you know, judgment. And we don't want to do that. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. So we want to, I want to get rid of my obstinacy, my sensitiveness, and my unreasoning prejudice. And to do that, I need a relationship with God. Now here's the key line. I don't think you hear this read at many meetings. These, these three lines, listen to this. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. So people who aren't open-minded cannot face their alcoholic destruction. We read that beginning of the chapter. There are only two doors, alcoholic death or live a spiritual life. And it says these are two alternatives that are difficult to face. If you're not faced with your alcoholic destruction, nothing's going to happen. You're not going to make it. How do you get faced with that pain? Keep drinking. That's what my sponsor Cliff says. Buy more booze. He would hear people babble at the meetings. It's a long time ago. And he whispered me, get them more booze. Because they weren't done yet. They weren't completely defeated. So are you open-minded on everything? And it says, in this respect, alcohol was the great persuader. Isn't that a great line? Faced with alcoholic destruction, I had to become open-minded on spiritual matters as I tried to be on other questions. In this respect, and you have to be open-minded on really everything. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat me into a state of reasonableness. It really beat me. Did it beat anybody in this room? I mean, it beat me. And what does it mean, it beat me into a state of reason? It meant that I was willing to open my mind. I was willing to open my mind to other concepts. I was willing to lay aside obstinate sensitivity and unreasoning prejudice. See how it's all put together? I don't know how they wrote this chapter. That's the one thing I really would have liked to have been there when they put these words together. And they put these lines together because it is really one of the greatest spiritual uh, pages of, that I've read. Sometimes this was a tedious process. It was a tedious in you. Alcohol kept beating me. I kept getting up off the mat. Have you ever seen these fights where the guy keeps getting up and the guy who's beating us says, would you give up already? And that's us. Alcohol says, would you please get down? Get down. I don't want to hit you anymore. We hope no one will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. And I was prejudiced for a long time. Anybody else? It took a lot to beat me into a state of reasonableness. And you know what? It doesn't take me a lot today, I hope, because I don't like to feel bad. I don't like to feel irritable, restless, and discontent. I don't like to be afraid anymore. And I don't like to be really judging and angry. So I watch that. And I really ask God to remove it and watch for that. My character defects, I really don't want to practice them anymore. I still do, but I don't want to. 
The reader may still ask why we should believe in a power greater themselves. We think there are good reasons. Let us look at some of them. The practical individual today is a stickler for facts and results. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? I still don't understand the internet. Does anybody understand? <laughs> I wave my hand in the air and, uh, you know, what's going on here? And, uh, but it, it works when you turn on your computer, you watch your internet, right? Yeah, if it goes out today and I don't watch those ball games, wow. And so, but uh, why this ready acceptance? Simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. So if we're going to accept the belief that God exists, can work in my life, he's a power greater than me, he can do, I can trust in him. And it says we believe in scores of things now for which we have no perfect visual proof. And things are constantly being revealed. And then they talk about a prosaic steel girder as a mass of electrons. And they have precise laws, and science tells us, so we have no reason to doubt it. So we're willing to accept science, so they'll tell you, why don't you, there's a perfectly, when a perfectly logical assumption is suggested, then underneath everything we can see, the world and life as we see it, there's an all-powerful guiding creative intelligence. You see, that's what they're saying. And Paul says that in Romans. You can see God in creation. If you look at his creation, you can see him. And then it says, we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. And it says we read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Were our contentions true and follow that life originated on nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. They're still trying to, to discover the origin of the universe. Keep working on it, guys. Keep working on it. Instead, here's what we do. Regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of it all. Rather vain of us, wasn't it? So here's the thing. And we do that even as believers because we still work, have our minds, and we believe our minds. And we believe things that aren't true. When we're saying God's the director of my life, and then I'll believe something, and it comes from my mind. And the, the vulture of the bedpost, this famous talk, when his mind talks to him, he says to the thinker that's talking to him, what's your source of information? Is it God or is it me? And that's a question I have to ask myself, especially when it produces fear or it produces judgment or it separates me from God. I think I'll read, uh, finish the page. We have traveled this dubious path, beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. So they're saying there's nothing wrong with organized religion in AA. 
We have learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, and everybody in the faith is a human frailty, right? Those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. Actually, we used to have no reasonable conception whatever, right? We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practice. Anybody ever do that? When we might have observed, and you can do it, like if you're in, if you're in the New Testament and you go to a church, you might criticize another church and the way they do it and the way they're doing things. And, or you criticize other, other situations. Um, so I don't want to be a cynical dissector. In fact, I used to cynically dissect everything. Uh, the spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually minded people of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, usefulness, and happiness which we should have sought ourselves. And what did I seek? I sought to uh, uh, try to make the world manage it so that I, everything would work, so I would be okay. It never worked. And so um, were you unstable? Were you unhappy? Were you useless? And it says uh, that feeling of uselessness will disappear. Anybody remember where that's read? It's one of the promises, right? It just this feeling of uselessness disappears because we have a purpose. And so uh, I think we'll end there. And next week we're going to, Wednesday we're going to learn about Columbus and we're going to read some powerful pages. This chapter has so much in it that I think, uh, I think we have, what, seven or eight pages left. So we don't have to rush through it, do we guys? So thank you. We'll open it up and